This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. From the Headstuff Podcast Network, welcome to The World According to Wikipedia, the podcast that explores the weird, wonderful and baffling world of Wikipedia, the people who write it and what makes them tick. With me, Fanula. And me, Rebecca. In this episode, we talk to Annie Rawirda, the creator of the social media sensation, The Depths of Wikipedia. This was a really fun conversation. I don't think I've ever spoken to someone who is an internet superstar, except for maybe our good friend, Derek O'Shea. I mean, let's not talk about Derek. He still abandoned us. <laughs> Harsh. <laughs> Sorry, Derek. We love you, really. I do. No, for Annie, I love her Twitter account. And I also think that she might be on that thing that's for the kids. What's for the kids? That TikTok sensation thing. And Instagram. All the cool places. I've gotten into TikTok recently. As I may have mentioned before, it's a time suck. Don't do it. I have created an account. That's as far as I've gotten. <laughs> I actually do love what people are actually doing with Wikipedia in all of these spaces. You know, kind of they're making it more accessible, less uh, terrifying, you know, less remote, maybe less less like an encyclopedia and more like a resource a source. Less monolithic, like yeah. actually kind of um, it's highlighting the humor behind many articles, you know, along the way. Editing Wikipedia is often thought of in very serious and maybe rather joyless sort of activity. But I think Annie is showing the levity and warmth that a lot of Wikipedians can bring to a subject that they write about, um, as well as highlighting the downright surreal and bizarre things that are on there. Yeah, I mean, some of her her shares are are quite amusing and also like head scratching. And I will say that from my own interactions with Wikimedians, Wikipedians, the the levity or the sense of humor is is pretty much a consistent characteristic. I think the ones that stick around, it it's needed because you you can't take yourself consistently that seriously. I don't think and get along with other people. There has to be a a bit of good humor sprinkled in there as well. And I imagine looking at all of the variety of things on Wikipedia opens you up to places to find that humor. I hope so. I hope so. Well, like a lot of things, Wikipedians are, we're a diverse group. So there's probably a bit of everything in there for everybody. There are, as you know, an awful lot of other podcasts available on the Headstuff Podcast Network. And uh, this week, we're going to kind of introduce you to one that's had recently hit its one, 100th episode, which is quite surprising. It's called Phoning It In, and it is a improv, comedy improv podcast uh, hosted by Dave Coffey. And it's well worth taking a listen to, don't you think, Rebecca? Am, am I going to use the same improv joke again? I only have the I one. Mean, <laughs> y- yes, and? <laughs> yes, and I highly recommend it. <laughs> Very good. Thank you for that. Uh, we are comedy duo and we have actually had improv lessons and thanks to our teacher who clearly did we we took on all of those lessons amazing work yeah chef's kiss apologies to neil for uh not really taking in all of those lessons it's not your fault you were an excellent teacher and it was in lockdown it was a while ago and we haven't 
And we haven't had a chance that to practice true. since. Yeah. But you can listen to a very good uh, improv comedy show on the Headstuff Podcast Network. Hello, my name is Dave Coffey and I am the host of Phoning It In, the hilarious improvised phone-in show. It's like Joe Duffy's Liveline, except we make it all up on the spot. That's right, I get a bunch of comedians into the studio and they have no idea what they're going to be talking about until I introduce them on the air. We have just recorded a 100 episode special featuring 15 of the best comedy performers in the country. Go and check that out, binge the other 99 and become a lifelong fan of Phoning It In with me, Dave Coffey, right here on the Headstuff Podcast Network. The rule, Rebecca. Tell us the rule. <laughs> okay, it's slightly more ominous than I expected you uh, to, to introduce that section. Uh, it's an added layer of, of, of jeopardy there that, um, do you know what? I like it. I'm going with it. I'm not going to respond to it, but uh, I'm not going to meet you on your level. You're not going to yes hand me? I'm not. Not on the, on the, not on the overly dramatic <laughs> voice over front no I don't think I have it in me <laughs> in a world <laughs> of Wikipedia there is one person who can tell you this episode's rule this episode's rule of the week is a follow-up to last week and that is what Wikipedia means when it wants reliable verifiable sources unfortunately I could not find a painful dad joke for this particular idea I mean, clearly you're just not committed to the podcast. I'm just not qualified on a number of fronts to write high or even low quality dad jokes. Mm. So, dad, what does Wikipedia want from a source? <laughs> Once again, missing the central you know, accreditation needed to be a dad, but okay. <laughs> that is a state of mind. <laughs> I haven't reached it quite yet. I'm working my way up. Uh, I haven't reached that, 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 that sense of self yet. Firstly, and I know I've said this before, it needs to be reliable. This means it is the kind of reference material you would use in, say, an academic essay. So publish sources that don't have any undue bias in them. So our mainstream press publications, books and journals. We tend not to use anything self-published, what used to be called the vanity press, or predatory or what's referred to as pay for publication journals. So self-publication in different forms. So how do you determine what's, whether or not something is reputable? We talked about this before, but it's community consensus and movable as well. So something mm. can be reputable and become unreputable over time. So if an editor or a group of editors suspects the publication or a news outlet has a distinct bias or there's kind of an issue with um, the quality of information that it's publishing, they can open a discussion on it. And the source can be placed on literally what's called a blacklist, which means editors are strongly discouraged from using it as a reference. This means that if you're editing on Wikipedia and you use one of these as a reference, you'll get a little warning bar saying references from X source are discouraged. You know, check again if you really want to use it, uh, that sort of thing. An example of this is the Daily Mail. Wikipedia editors decided the editorial bias was so strong that it could not be deemed a reliable or reputable source of information. Others are more straightforward. You'll get similar warnings if you reference a blogspot, dot blogspot, blog, mm-hmm. uh, if you're really retro, or a self-published book from a known publisher platform, such as Lulu is one. And you'll come across those on Google Books quite a lot of the time. So these blogs and books cannot be relied upon because there's no editorial process. 
nobody has fact-checked or gone through the content. So we can't be sure the information reported is factual or correct. Uh Uh-huh. And like, going back to something like the Daily Mail, has there ever actually been any pushback from the sources that are no longer deemed reputable? Certainly, certain newspapers and other news outlets are not happy to learn that they have been blacklisted. But from the point of view of self-publishers and bloggers, I don't think it's a major concern for them, depending on the content that they're writing or how they kind of are placing themselves. A lot of things like on Lulu.com would be you know, kind of oral histories or very localized mm. histories. So they're not really, it's not an overly academic source that they're writing, so they probably don't get too, you know, fraught about it. But Wikipedia is a community and what the community says goes. So they're not going to be swayed by a big media news outlet like Fox or the Daily Mail or whatever, or the Mirror saying, you you have to use us as a source. Mm. Uh, they're not going to bend to that sort of will. And as I said, things can change over time. So if, you know, the editorial bias of a particular publication was to go one way or another, the conversation could be reopened and things could be revisited. I've said before that like with self-publishing, it has changed over time and even how we approach blogs because you can have a dot blog spot, but equally the VNA or the Harvard Business School have a blog. And that's a whole, that's a whole other mm. ball game because that probably has gone through an editorial process. You know, it's not just some randomer slapping content up on a website. So it's that sort of okay. rep- reputableness we are thinking about. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. We are now going to talk to Annie and how she was inspired to create The Depths of Wikipedia. Hi, I'm Annie Rawrida. I recently graduated from the University of Michigan and I run The Depths of Wikipedia accounts on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter, which cumulatively have um, over a million followers. Um, I'm so excited to talk to you a little bit about the weird, quirky um, side of Wikipedia that people on the internet seem to love so much, and also talk a little bit more about what I do on Wiki. That's brilliant to have you with us. Thanks so much. I love, you know, this is a Venn diagram of people who are, you know, obsessed with the weird and wonderful world of Wikipedia and the strange things that people get up to therein. And also ardent followers. Not on TikTok, I have to say, because both myself and Fanula were of an age where being on TikTok is questionable, but uh, <laughs> definitely on Twitter <laughs> and Insta. <laughs> well, I mean, first, the the world is pretty big and wide and wonderful. And there are just things in the world that are represented on Wikipedia that are so funny. But there's also a few times where captions or turns of phrases are a little cheeky. And maybe some persnickety folks would edit it out. But I instead screenshot and post to Twitter. So hopefully you can forgive me. So you didn't make sourdough during the pandemic. You decided to start a project that gained legs, the depths of Wikipedia. What was the inspiration uh, behind that? What, how did you arrive at that particular idea? I was a sophomore in um, university at the time. I wasn't a very active Wikipedia editor. I had um, edited a few things before, very small edits, typos. I knew it was possible. I had read talk pages, but I was mostly just reading a lot of Wikipedia out of curiosity. And I felt like I was finding some good gems and I was surprised that nobody on Instagram had um, started collecting them. So at the time I was posting willy nilly, I was posting a lot and sometimes I would even post vandalism. Now I, I mean, now I try, I, I think I do my due diligence. Like I'll make sure if something was recently edited, I'm not just promoting it out into the world. But at the time I, I didn't really care. Yeah. It didn't take off for a few weeks. Um, or a few months, but then eventually it got quite a few followers. 
Um, some Wikipedians reached out and said like, hey, you should be more involved in the Wikipedia, Wikimedia community. Um, I started editing quite a bit more than I did before. I think I still would call myself a, a gnome, but I do enjoy editing Wikipedia pretty frequently about all sorts of topics. I, I keep my um, username anonymous, but maybe I've run into you in the past. And yeah, I did an edit-a-thon with Wikimedia New York City a few months into having the account. They were so welcoming, so sweet. I didn't have any experience with edit-a-thons at the time, but it was wonderful. We got a few hundred people to sign up and it was virtual and that was really fun. And then since then, I've been a little bit more involved with the community, um, doing all sorts of things. I talked at um, the Wiki Conference North America, doing trivia. Um, I did a Wiki some sort of Wikipedia conference in the Netherlands, which was wonderful because my grandparents are Dutch. So I got to practice a few words. And what else? I'm just, just meeting up with Wikipedians in the wild. Excellent. Excellent. So you kind of, I suppose you're slightly more as a user and as you say, kind of making kind of light edits and things like that, but you were aware that there was the edit button. And the, do you think you're always kind of aware of that? Or, you know, so when did you start... Not to, not to give away a date uh, of, of crea- account creation so people can run the numbers. But when did, you st- when did you start editing? The first edit that I can find, well, I was at home in my parents' house and I looked at the recent or, you know, past um, Wikipedia logins and I turned out I had created an account when I was a teenager and I didn't even remember it. And I had one edit. And so I must have been maybe in like, I don't know, eighth or ninth grade but I was not active on Wikipedia at all. I just made that one single edit and I think I fixed a typo. So I probably edited on and off as an IP address. And then I started editing more consistently in late 2020 and then into 2021. Yeah, I think where a lot of people found that edit button as kind of a yes. bit of an outlet. Yeah, which is fantastic, which is wonderful. So so you didn't really, you weren't really aware of, I suppose, the wider Wikimedia movement uh, the humans of of behind all of the projects, not only Wikipedia but everything else. And before you started the the depths of Wikipedia, not really. I knew that there were people that had edited Wikipedia. I had never met them. Now it almost seems silly because it seems like they're all over. But no, I didn't. I didn't really know very much about the Wikimedia movement at all. So it was a huge surprise for you. That well, it's great. Know. I was like, all these people are coming together just to make an encyclopedia. Like it's kind of it's kind of cool and they're all anonymous and maybe it's a 90 year old that's talking to a 13 year old, but they're just in a wiki, wiki project together. And so it doesn't matter who they are. And there is something about, well, I know obviously New York city, hugely dense, hugely diverse, lots of people there, but there does seem to be a lot of quite notable and prolific editors come out of or associated with the movement there and ones that perhaps, you know, are interested in outreach and things like art and feminism and, other mm-hmm. things have, have all started there. So, you know, I think you had a head start having that connection as well. <laughs> yeah, it was great. Well, I'm from Michigan, but um, I was living in New York for a year when I did that edit-a-thon. And so I got to meet some of the people that are really active um, in the community that also live in New York. And it was cool. There was, I met um, somebody who like their area of specialty is writing about skate parks in New York City, um, Will 540. And it was very cool. At the time, I didn't realize that you could specialize so much. And now I know there are people that specialize in topics far more niche, but 
it's just exciting and cool and it's this whole like community um that's backstage on wikipedia that i would i think the majority of people that click on wikipedia.org don't know about we don't necessarily think about i mean as consumers quite often we don't think about the the entirety of what's gone into the the product that we consume at the end so i suppose it's not really surprising that that readers of wikipedia would 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 operate in the same way but it's wonderful to kind of peel back you know and and take a quick look at the the intricacies even if you're not a person to dive in and you know create a very successful social media empire uh <laughs> based on that so you've you've mentioned in some of the interviews that you've done before that it's it's getting a little bit harder or you have to kind of think a little bit more about the content that you do share you know that perhaps you've used up all of your all the ones that you had bookmarked before um, but do you have a system for finding your your Wikipedia um, snippets, or is it a bit like the Google algorithm? Is it a <laughs> is it a secret? It's definitely not a secret, but I don't have a very good system. Yeah, I think that you know there's 6.4 million articles in English Wikipedia, which that's what I usually limit myself to. So you'd think that there should be far more funny things to unearth, and there probably are. I'm still stumbling upon new things every day that make me chuckle. But I do think there's there are a few classic weird articles that people love to say over and over again. Um, list of sexually active popes or um, the Kentucky meat shower when it rained meat in Kentucky. Or uh, there's a few more toast sandwich. That's a favorite. Um, and things like that, I think I've used up for the most part. There are still things that I'm seeing on like the the list of unusual articles that are new to me. That list, by the way, is massive and it's growing and I love it. Um, and then, yeah, in Wikipedia, there's a category like silly things. There's there's all sorts of collections that I can look at, but I don't think I primarily source from those. Usually people will, um, well, at this point, it's pretty, it's pretty big. Like I have a pretty big following. And so I think that it's probably safe to assume that more than half of the things that I post are things that people send in. They'll say like, this is so funny. You just have to see it. Um, often something that I've already posted, but I can't blame them because I've posted thousands. But other times I'm just learning about something for, you know, just out of curiosity or for work or something. And I find something that's interesting and I screenshot it and post it and it takes off. So I think probably 60% of the things I post, people send to me which makes it very easy. Yeah. <laughs> and then yeah. about 40% are things that I find myself. Wow. So eventually you'll just, you can write a script and you can automate it based on people's DMs. <laughs> Somebody told me um, that I should do that, but I'm a little nervous about what, what that would entail. I think you know, you need the human touch. Um, I don't know. How to, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't know how to patrol that. Yeah. Yeah, there will be a lot of screening involved in that. Uh, I think yeah. I think the the beauty of what you're doing is that it's not an automated Twitter feed. I mean, as as entertaining as they can be, uh, you know, I follow a lot of bots like the Liminal Space Bot and you know those sort of things, and they're great, but they don't always hit the mark because there's going to be a rate of failure in there. And I think it's the fact that you know it's either you or somebody with kind of the same sense of humor that follows you has spotted this in the wild, as you say, or kind of stumbled across it or said, hey, this is kind of cool. That it's, it's that human touch. Yeah. Yeah. Plus it's fun when you can post things on a day, like a certain day where they're more relevant. In Canada, one of the um, like pu pu uh, public servants that deals with finances wears um, new shoes on budget day. 
that's a tradition. They wear new shoes. I, I posted the article about that on budget day and people were happy about it. Um, on the anniversary of the Dave Matthews band Chicago River incident, where if you may recall, the band's tour bus dumped its septic tank over the Kinsey Street Bridge in Chicago at the absolute worst moment possible because a ferry boat of tourists was going underneath. So they just got doused in excrement. It was a disaster. Um, anyway, on the anniversary, I do often post it to remember um, that tragedy. Luckily, no one died. But... Just, just horrified and scarred for life. In, in, yeah, in exactly. Ways. Horrible. <laughs> they have a story. That is your story. Like, that's your pub story for forever. Like, you'll never guess where this guy was. I was on the ferry. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, if there was an Irish man on that ferry, like, he's dining out on that for forever. <laughs> There was a woman who was driving behind the bus and some of the some of the contents of the septic tank blew in the wind at her because she had her window open and her blog post is just the stuff of nightmares it's it's horrifying good god we'll have to find you a few no not not um excrementally um as bad as that but we'll have to find you a few i'm already thinking of one i don't know if you've come across it before but we'll we'll keep it a secret until afterwards just in case it is it is of okay. interest but there have you had many uh, i have to ask the question now have you had many irish irish snippets um ones for saint patrick's day perhaps off the top of my head i can't think of gap. any what do you say we'll have to fill the gap <laughs> What is we'll it? Come, we'll have to come up with a few. We'll have to find some. So the one that, that one that I can think of is I posted about a bunch of disasters where liquids spilled, like the the London beer flood or like the Great Molasses flood in Boston, and the um, Dublin whiskey fire sort of counts. Yeah. The yeah. thing about tragedies that I have a hard time with is I don't want to make light of something yeah. where people died or were injured. So things like that, I try to be careful about. But that that was one that caught my attention. Well, something that would that would definitely work is probably um, in particular in, in Dublin, but also across Ireland. We have a tendency to come up with slang names for public art. So the famous one was the Millennium Clock, which was supposed to count down to the year 2000. Um, and it was in the River Liffey in Dublin and it was referred to as the time in the slime um, because the Liffey is quite it's quite or was quite polluted and then there was an, a statue called Anne Olivier which is from Joyce which is the personification of the River Liffey and she was known as the floozy in the jacuzzi uh, oh, that's funny. <laughs> so there's a whole series of those <laughs> some of them See, send them over I'll post I'll, maybe I'll make a Twitter thread <laughs> Some of them are, and because you can find citations for most of these, because it's what people refer to them as, uh, I've added most of them in. <laughs> they don't exist. James Joyce, if you, I'll send you the link to North Earl Street. Uh, there's a statue of James Joyce, and he has a rather specific uh, uh, slang term put on him. Uh, All right. Well, I will check it out. Thank you. See, there's. <laughs> I can't read every article. People sometimes ask, oh, do you just press the random article button? Which I, you know, sometimes for fun, I'll do it just as a novelty thing. As a kid, I used to love it. But you're usually just hitting a geo stub, And yeah. the odds that you're going to find something that's really very fascinating, I found is, are pretty low. So I generally do not try to find, you know, weird, quirky gems using the random article button. Do you find that the article generally has to be of a certain quality? You know, does it have to be kind of 
be undisturbed, as you say, kind of with a little bit more attention put to it to find something that that has that nuance to it. Because uh, I was talking to some people about Redactyl yesterday <laughs> and like how, you know, what what articles are being put into the Redactyl as this. And, the, you know, and, and one of the other guys who's a who's an editor of Wikipedia, said he said, I think they must be good articles or above, g- generally just based on the length. Um, so do you think that, you know, there has to be kind of a certain amount of content there for you to find to mine for the gem? That's a good question. I haven't ever thought about it. I certainly do not limit myself to articles with good article status. That would yeah, be um, that's, a little difficult. Yeah. <laughs> but um, and sometimes people joke in the the Discord. They say that getting posted on Devs of Wikipedia is as much bragging rights as being a featured article, which I'm not sure about that. But um, <laughs> but I mean, I try. I, I put forth a decent amount of effort to make sure that. If I'm posting something on Wikipedia, I mean, on Twitter or Instagram, it's like a fairly good and representative sample of the Wikipedia's quality. If, if something is like humorously bad writing, maybe it's funny, but it's kind of a cheap laugh. And in, if someone sends me something like that, usually I just go in and quick fix it instead of posting yeah. it. So I do think I have a certain standard, but other times there's kind of humor in, in something being rather brief some examples people on twitter think it's really funny when personal life sections are really short because there's when when a personal life section only lists you know three qualities about you and one of them is that you i don't know like love hot air balloons like it, it makes it sound like that's very central to your personality when perhaps you mentioned that in an interview like one time 10 years ago so i think that makes people laugh um another one is um, people often scroll to personal life sections just to see if somebody is gay. I think that's a joke that's been made quite a bit. And a few times there have been personal life sections that simply say, I mean, Billy Eichner has said this for a while before it was vandalized to the moon. And I think it might be protected now. Um, but it just said Eichner is gay. Um, people thought that was funny because it's like, it's all you, they, they were like, it's all you need. So yeah, I think I, you know, I, tr- I try to limit myself to fairly high quality ar- quality articles, but I'm not, I'm definitely not as much of a stickler as those good article reviewers. Well, also like the pool that you're drawing on is, you know, you go down from six, you know, six million to, you know, a few hundred thousand, maybe. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. So you're limiting your pool a little bit and you're probably going to get an awful lot of articles that are about, you know, works of literature or, yes. you know. Or irrelevant islands. I shouldn't say irrelevant, you know, but just places where not very many people live and are very far away and don't have a lot of interesting fun facts. Yes, they don't have humorous uh, cow-based captions uh, and things like that. Exactly. (laughs) This cow can get up at any time it likes. (laughs) (laughs) Although some islands that I do have particular interest in are, there's a tiny island called Busta Rhymes Island that somebody bought and they tried to name it Busta Rhymes Island and they had blueberry picking and quote stuff Busta would enjoy to me that was funny it's very small it's 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 too small for anyone to live on another island that's interesting is um you can see it in the article recursive islands and lakes but there was actually a hoax for a while in near the upper peninsula of Michigan which is where I live there was this kind of like a puddle situation that was categorized as a lake and it was an I might I might get the exact you know number of of rec- recursion wrong but it was like a you know an, a, a lake within an island within a lake within an island within a lake within an island and on and on forever and ever amen but then it was found out to be a hoax because it was more of a puddle 
Um, so that was pretty interesting too. People like that. More of a puddle. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the ultimate insult to a lake. Like, so again, that's like something an Irish person would say. <laughs> you call that a lake? <laughs> More of a puddle. <laughs> bit of light flooding really <laughs> i actually don't know what the distinction is like how does something get you know categorized as lake versus pond? I'm, I'm sure people know this i'm sure your listeners are like oh who doesn't know the difference between a lake and a pond but oh well, yes i fell down the it was a very short rabbit hole because people just went we don't know how do you do <laughs> when does something become a town see i don't know i don't i have no idea there actually <laughs> no literally idea. is no answer because people could not agree on it like when something <sighs> goes from you know a conglomeration to a village to a town there's no set sometimes there's a cultural acceptance within you know a particular country or whatever or you might go by the local government uh have mm-hmm. they called it a town but particularly in ireland like the central statistics office don't act, they just say r- urban rural wow they don't state they don't give like a hierarchy of uh of things which is really interesting yeah so like <laughs> the open street map guys went just don't open that can of worms leave it <laughs> um that reminds me of how it's it's really hard to like define a tree even something as basic as a tree like what is a bush what is a tree what is a plant what is a a large shrub <laughs> yeah what is a shrub I per- I certainly don't know and the experts all disagree too it seems well it's that classic it's like the the court ruling is like I know it when I see it you know yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> show me some sort of botanical specimen and I will tell you give me a scale and I'll tell you <laughs> I, if, you know, if I see something that's less than three feet and it's fully grown, I just personally have a hard time calling it a tree. Sorry, a meter. <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. The hard line <laughs> on shrubs versus trees. <laughs> those are on. my two cents. I mean, all those internet haters now uh, who defend small trees are going to come after you. I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, yes. go fight about it. And <laughs> There's a talk page somewhere. Start, I can hear it. Pro- I'm sure there's a, there's a wonderful talk page discussion about it somewhere. That was a really good interview. It really was. It really was. And I think myself and Annie probably could have talked for many, many more hours uh, about all the various little quirks and interesting things that we have both noticed on Wikipedia and um, fun content. I, I have I have suggested a few things. They haven't appeared yet, but they might be in the pipeline. Ooh. You will get the extended uh, version of that podcast on the Headstuff Plus community we if you become a member uh, which costs just five euro a month plus fat you get all of our extended interviews when i eventually put them up there they do go up there it just takes me a little bit more time um and you get everybody else's all of the other uh, podcasts on the network you get access to all of their uh, backstage funky high-end amazing content bonus flash bonus, content yeah all of the amazing things and uh and again it's a bargain i mean i know times are hard uh, times are hard uh, so we understand if you can't support the network uh, but if you do have that extra five euro a month plus fat uh, you can just go to the headstuffpodcast.com and it gets you access to a lot of good quality irish produced content which is great as you heard from the the ad earlier on in the episode we've got some good stuff on the network and it's worth checking out <laughs> The hero, Rebecca. The hero. Tell us, who is this episode's hero That's it. in a world? That's it. You've been DMing too long. The, the level of drama has increased since you have become 
a DM with with D and D. I got new dice. I got new dice. There's gonna. She she is a dragon of dice at this point. He has a horde. I'm in a very shiny bag. Little shiny bag. It's a purple bag. Over time, this 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 podcast will just slowly morph into a D and D podcast, and it's actually just a role playing game. We'll, on Wikipedia. Oh, we, we do. Um, well, I mean, there is something done about that. We we discussed the role-playing game, Wikipedia as a role-playing game before. It's entirely possible. We should do that sometime. <laughs> Bonus episode. Now imagine one of those campaign sheets, like the one that was like, um, you know, ousting the British Prime Minister. Uh, a role-playing game. Yes. yes. Hunting down all of the candidates. Oh, don't. No, let's not go there. This episode's hero, Rebecca. This episode's hero is a little bit different. I often choose a current story or recent bit of research or similar in this section, but I was reading a thread on Facebook today and I wanted to shout out a particular group of Wikipedians. Ooh, intriguing. I'm giving my hero of the of the episode shout out to all the Wikipedians who have completed the 100 Wiki Days Challenge. Now, I know I'm impressive for having an aim of 10 Wiki articles done by the time I'm 50. It's given me another six years. So I'm in awe of anyone who has the time, the commitment, the, I don't know, like the, the dedication to complete 100 Wiki Days. Yes. So 100 Wiki Days is a Wikipedia editing challenge where an editor commits to writing an article every day for 100 days straight. Unbroken. Has to be consecutive. But get this, there are some editors that have done a thousand days and one who has done 2000 days straight. Madness. Madness. That's like three years. More than, yeah. 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 So the 100 Wiki Days challenge has been around since 2015. So yeah. Yeah. It's, it's reached that level of maturity at this point. What's your Wiki Day count? Best count? My best count. So I've done 100 Wiki Days twice. Mm-hmm. I did it in 2015 and 2018. But I've also done 366. I did an article every day in 2020. Of course, I picked a leap year. Because of the leap year. Yeah, I didn't think that one through. Um, and I decided to do that before the pandemic hit. I do actually think I remember you doing that. You were looking at Irish women, if I recall correctly. Irish women, the odd man, and not just odd men, but uh, sprinkling the odd man there. Um, buildings, Irish buildings, uh, with a particular focus on demolished buildings, because mm. you, know, you have to be a niche within a niche. Um, nature reserves, special areas of conservation, that sort of thing. Wiki loves earth, flavoured stuff. And a firm of taxidermists. A veritable kaleidoscope of topics. Wait, wait, no, what was it? Taxidermists? Yeah. Williams and Son of Dublin, everybody's favourite taxidermist. Fish mounting, a specialty. Those guys. Right. Um, um, I meant to have known about them. Are they a known entity within the Dublin world? Are they like a pintman of a taxidermist world? No. no, not quite. Not quite. But you know how... The fact that I'm a Wikipedian probably puts me in a, in a select kind of um, an unusual group of people. I, you know, having worked in the Natural History Museum in Dublin, I probably occupy an even weirder little corner of the internet world uh, where I I am aware of firms of, of taxidermists and specifically ones from Ireland. Uh, no longer, now defunct, but you can read all about it on Wikipedia. And I will. See the show notes. that was the world according to wikipedia join us again in two weeks you can subscribe to us on your podcast player of choice follow us on twitter at world underscore wikipedia thanks to patricia o'flaherty for our artwork and headstuff production assistance go to headstuffpodcasts.com for show notes and more information and to support the headstuff plus network you can find me fanula at ickle underscore tato on twitter and now on tiktok 
And you can follow Rebecca at Restless Curator on Twitter and as a weird stalker on TikTok. Scroller. I'm just a scroller. This is a scroller on TikTok. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com.